At Qualcomm, we believe in staying connected, and you can see us wherever 5G is helping transform telemedicine, supporting remote education, and powering mobile PCs. The Invention Age is here. Learn more at qualcomm.com slash invention age. This is the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about money. Here's Robert Kiyosaki. Hello, hello, hello. It's Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about money. And we have a very appropriate, timely, interesting, prophetic show today. And uh, our guest today is a longtime friend. Uh, his name is Richard Duncan. I first read his book, Dollar Crisis, and Richard's been saying this crisis was coming for years now, since before the year 2000. So Richard is an economist. He's with the IMF and the World Bank. And he's an expert on the Asian crisis. And he actually is living in Thailand as we speak. He's up on the border between Thailand and China. And I hope he's social distancing from Wuhan. But anyway, it's a very important show because we're gonna have an American's point of view, an economist, a person who's worked for the World Bank and the IMF, who's gonna give you his point of view all the way from the border of Northern Thailand and China. So Richard, my old friend, welcome back to Rich Dad Radio. Robert, thank you. It's so great to hear your voice and great to be back on. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you. And uh, Kim was she's here, but she's in, she's social distancing up in the mountains someplace. Anyway. Okay, well, I'm, I'm sorry she's not there. Tell her I said hello. I will, I will. She's uh, doing a lot of meditation and soul searching. But she's, she's great. Everybody's great. Rich Dad is great. So, um, Cash is flowing in, which is always good. So we're, we're I'm doing glad to Glad to hear all the good news. Yeah. So <clears throat> could you give us a little bit of your background, you know, as a classically trained economist? And when did you first write the dollar crisis? And how long have you been warning us, not so much of the COVID crisis, but the corruption of the U.S. dollar and the world economy? Well, so... Okay, I grew up in Kentucky and went to Vanderbilt. And after Vanderbilt, I ended up backpacking around the world for a year. And I saw Thailand and Malaysia and Singapore in early 1984 and realized it was booming. So after a couple of more years back in the U.S. at business school, I flew to Hong Kong in 1986 and found a job working as a securities analyst for a Hong Kong Chinese stockbroking company. And I've lived in Asia most of the time since then. Uh, working for various stockbroking companies and fund management companies. I worked for the World Bank in Washington for a couple of years. And I was also in London for a couple of years as the global head of investment strategy for ABN AMRO Asset Management, looking at all the asset classes globally. And along the way, I've written three books. Uh, the Dollar Crisis was published in 2003. And that was more or less forecasting what I thought was going to turn into a serious global economic crisis, which it did in 2007 and 2008. So since then, of course, things have changed dramatically over the last 12 years with the U.S. government has tripled its debt even before this coronavirus crisis started. And the Fed expanded its balance sheet by five times by creating three and a half trillion dollars in response to the, the crisis of 2008. 
That was just between 2008 and 2014. So I think that I've been fortunate to have spent so much time in Asia because so many things that I've seen in Asia later proved to occur again in the United States. I mean, for instance, one credit bubble after another in Asia taught me how credit bubbles work. And so that's how I was able to anticipate the crisis of 2008. And then more recently, sadly, the coronavirus erupted here in Asia first. And so it was unfortunate, but it seemed inevitable that it was going to spread to the United States. So I started publishing MacroWatch videos on this on March 1st, and I've published five so far. The second one on March 15th was called Recession or Depression. And that was before people were calling this depression. So by being in Asia, I've seen a lot of trends develop that later hit the United States. And that's been very useful for me as an economic forecaster. So let me go into this. Um, you wrote The Dollar Crisis, and that's how I first came across you. I was walking at Borders Bookstore, who's now out of business. But I was walking past Borders Bookstore, and your little book, Dollar Crisis, I kind of went, psst, psst, hey, pick me up. So I picked up the book, and you were saying so much of what I believed what was going to happen anyway. And I was a student of Buck, Dr. Buckminster Fuller, and he was talking about that in the Grunge of Giants, of how the world economy is controlled by a few through the U.S. dollar, the currencies. So what caused you to write the dollar crisis, you know, right after the Asian crisis in 1999. So the, the real core of the dollar crisis was that I believe that the trade deficits were destabilizing the global economy and, and blowing the countries with trade surpluses like Japan and Thailand and, and China into economic bubbles. But at the same time, oddly enough, also blowing the United States into an economic bubble. So the trade between countries used to have to balance when we were on a gold standard. But after the Bretton Woods system broke down in 1971, the U.S. discovered that it could run large trade deficits with other countries. And then once globalization really kicked in and the United States started buying things from low-wage countries like China, the U.S. trade deficit became larger and larger. By the middle of the 80s, it was 3.5% of GDP, which was entirely unprecedented. And then by 2006, it hit, hit a peak of $800 billion that one year alone. That was 6% of U.S. GDP. And so this was all being funded on U.S. credit. It required someone in the U.S., either the private sector, households, corporations, the government or the financial sector, someone had to keep borrowing more and more money to keep this disequilibrium from correcting into a, a crisis. So that's what happened in 2008. The private sector wasn't able to continue taking on more credit and credit started to contract. And at that point, we started to go into a depression. But the government then jumped in and expanded its government debt from something like $6 trillion to $18 trillion or now $22 trillion. And that was the, the increase in government debt that kept us from having a depression after 2008. And the Fed, we learned something very new. It, the policy response from the Fed was the Fed helped finance all of this increase in government debt. 
by creating three and a half trillion dollars during three rounds of quantitative easing between 2008 and October 2014. So all of that money the Fed created, it used to buy mostly government bonds, which helped finance that government debt at low interest rates. Now, we learned something else that was also important during that experiment. Traditionally, everyone had been taught to believe that so much government debt and so much paper money creation would lead to high rates of inflation or even hyperinflation. But what we learned is that didn't happen. Despite this extraordinary expansion of the Fed's balance sheet, the Fed's balance sheet expanded by five times. In other words, the amount of money they created in the first 90 years of their existence, they'd created about $900 billion. Well, over the next seven years, they created an extra $3.5 trillion, expanding the amount of money they created by five times during those, those years. And it didn't cause inflation. And the, so that was really the extraordinary and most shocking lesson from the crisis. And the reason it didn't cause inflation is because we had globalization at the same time for the first time. Instead of having to buy all of our goods within the United States borders, we were able to buy goods all around the world from countries where their workers are happy to work for $5 a day. So that was extremely deflationary. And those deflationary pressures made it possible for the U.S. government to spend enough to keep us from having a depression and for the Fed to print enough money to finance all of that government debt at low interest rates without causing inflation. So that was quite a revolutionary development. Well, what you said is because they printed all this money and we, we ship it over to Japan and China, their economies blow into bubbles. So it was really that their trade surpluses with the United States that caused Japan to blow into a bubble in the 1980s and later Thailand and all the Asia crisis countries to blow into bubbles in the 90s. And China just has been blowing into a bubble for decades. Their bubble just never popped yet. Their government has managed to keep their bubble inflated. But so, so because these countries had very large trade surpluses with the United States, that meant more and more dollars were going in, into their economies every year. And those dollars were going into their banking systems. And so they had a buildup of deposits. So the banks had to do something with those deposits. So they lent that out as credit. And the credit created a big economic boom and pushed up asset prices. Inside Japan, inside Thailand, inside China. That's right. I mean, most famously in 1990, the, the park around the Imperial Palace in Tokyo was said to be more valuable than all of California. So that so, gives you some idea of the bubble that was formed that way. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, this is what we're, it's a little, maybe it's a little too macro for some of you, but just understand is that Every time you shopped at Walmart or you bought Sony's or Toshiba's, it was actually keeping prices down here, but it was blowing the economies of our, of the trade partners into these huge economic bubbles, which led to the crash of Japan around 1990. Is that when it went down? That's right. And so Japan is still in a depression. It's been 30 years in a depression now. And, every, and I remember being Japanese, I got a little sensitive to it. They say, well, you know, the Japanese are stupid. But what they couldn't see was what Richard could see, the same, the same fate was gonna happen to America. And then you look at all these respirator problems. The reason we have respirator problems is the supply chain came out of China and Japan and all this. So America stopped manufacturing and what America stopped, we started going on credit cards. 
So that's why 50% of Americans have less than $400. And a lot of it just goes back to the first book that Richard wrote was called The Dollar Crisis. So as I said, I was walking through borders right near my home in Phoenix, and I saw this book, and that's when Richard and I got together. And we've been friends ever since then. We've traveled the world together, doing our best to explain macroeconomics. And now Richard has Macro Watch, which is his way of making presentations so we understand in pictures with graphs what's going on. Now, why do you want to know what's going on in the world? Not to predict, but to prepare. Because Richard's last latest book was The New Depression. And I think we're in it right now. So this Wuhan crisis and all this was just kind of the red black swan that's fired the whole thing off. So Richard, let me ask you this question. What is your idea or your thoughts on this Corona crisis? Is it real? Is it fake? Is it biological warfare? What are you here? No. Being that you live near the border of China. I believe it's real and I don't believe it's biological warfare. Just like SARS was not biological warfare and all of the plagues that have swept the planet for, for millennia, none of those were created in labs. This is just another virus and it's spreading around the world. But let me inject a bit of good news here. As you mentioned, I live in Thailand, and the number of, it seems to be dying out here, knock on wood. The <laughs> number of new cases yesterday was only nine, nine new cases. And in total, Thailand has had less than 3,000 cases, and only, only 52 people have died. Now, I believe that what this tells us is that, now that's amazing because in January, Thailand literally had approximately 1 million Chinese tourists inside Thailand's borders at the peak of the virus crisis in China. So it should have, you would have thought that it would have spread here like wildfire and that everyone would have it by now, but it didn't spread. And I think it didn't spread very rapidly. I'm not a doctor. I could be completely wrong, but it seems to me that it didn't spread because Thailand is hot and sunny and humid. So I believe that is reason for optimism that the virus will also at least die down and hopefully die out in, when the summer hits the northern hemisphere. That's what happened with SARS. And I hope that's what will happen with the coronavirus as well. Good. So we'll come back. We'll be talking more, you know, a little background on Richard Duncan. He's been a friend for hours for years and years and years. And we travel the world. We do these macro talks about what's going on. But we're going to go into, when we come back, how do you prepare for the future? Because I, I, have, I have also bad news, as my doctor also said, this baby is coming back. This coronavirus, he says, it'll just remutate and come back up, up again, whether it's real or not real and all this. I think the real problem is people are now terrified. And the big question I have when I, I talk to my friends, you know, let's say we go back to work and it reappears we shut down the world economy again. How will you do? Will you be prepared for it or will you wipe it out? So we're gonna have Richard Duncan talking about what he sees coming. He's, Richard is always the optimist, I'm always the pessimist. But because I'm a pessimist, I'm always prepared like a boy scout for whatever happens next. So when we come back, we're talking to Richard about what he sees in the future. Is it a depression? I've also heard the possibility of collapse. You know, if it just keeps going, we've, we've never had anything like this in the history of the world. So nobody really knows what's going to happen. So we're going to hear from Richard Duncan. How do you prepare for whatever does happen? We'll be right back.
Hello, hello, hello. It's Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about money. We're uh, social distancing in, in beautiful old town Scottsdale, Arizona, where it's always heaven or hell, and it's heaven right now. And come listen to the Rich Dad Radio program anytime, anywhere on iTunes or Android and YouTube. And please leave us a review of whatever you listen to. It's good to hear from you. All of our programs are archived at richdadradio.com. We archive them for one reason, because we have nothing to sell except our educational products, like our books and our games and things like that. But we archive them so you can listen to this again with your friends and family or your business associates and discuss this. Because it's a very important subject today. We have an old friend of the Rich Dad Company. Now he's a young guy, but he's been with Rich Dad Company for a long time. He's an economist with the World Bank and IMF. And he lives in Bangkok, Thailand. He's worked for hedge funds and things like this. So he sees the world from a very macro point of view. And being that he's on the border of Wuhan right now, I hope he's socially, socially distancing. But Richard <laughs> has been warning the world for as long as I known him that the dollar was the problem. And I've been saying the same thing. You know, my definition of intelligence is if you agree with me, you're intelligent. So Richard very intelligent. <laughs> Like I said, we've traveled the world talking about what we saw coming in the world economy and why the U.S. dollar, since it went off the gold standard back in 1971, has been kind of throwing the whole world balance of trade off base, which causes bubbles all over the world, like bubbles in Japan, Korea, China, and all this. So now we're in this massive bubble, and due to this Wuhan virus, corona crisis, the whole economy is collapsing at the same time. So Rich has been warning of this with his book, The Dollar Crisis, The Corruption of Capitalism, and his latest book, The New Depression, The Breakdown of the Paper Money Economy. And also Richard shifted his presentations because things were changing so fast. He has a program called Macro Watch, and these are video programs where he uses charts and trends to look at what's going on in the world economy as they happen. And now why is MacroWatch so important to you? Is number one, it's about being prepared. It's not about predicting. So one of the reasons I'm sitting here fat, dumb, and happy is because I'm a pessimist. I always knew the government was screwing us somehow. I didn't trust the dollar. And I, my business is set that when it does, when the economy crashes, Rich Dad's doing even better. And I have lots of dollars and lots of gold and silver. So I'm pretty happy, but I know there's millions of other people who aren't, and that's the tragedy of it. So I'm gonna have Richard come back and talk about Macro Watch, but more importantly, how it's best for you to see what's going on and take action before anybody else does. So Richard, would you mind explaining what Macro Watch does and how it prepares people for what's for the twists and turns coming in the future? So Macro Watch is a video newsletter. Every couple of weeks I upload a new video discussing something important happening in the global economy and how that's likely to impact the value of stocks and bonds and commodities and currencies. Now, the reason it's important is because everyone needs to understand that the government is managing the economy at the macro level. For instance, it was when the Fed announced it was going to create limitless amounts of money on March 23rd that the stock market bottomed. And since then, it's rebound 25 or 30%. That's March 2020. So that was easy to foresee because if you understood that the government was managing the economy through both the combination of government debt and the Fed creating money, 
then you would understand that they couldn't allow the stock market to crash 25, 30, 50%, because that would be absolutely certain to drive the economy into a depression. So Richard, let me just say one more thing though. Way back when I predicted the biggest stock market crash was coming, I predicted 2016, it happened in 2020. But in March of 2020 was the biggest crash in world history. It did happen. It went down three steps and then it bounced. So the question is, is that the last bounce or are we going to test a new bottom? That's, I think that's why your macro watch is so important. Right. So the answer to that question, in, on March 15th, I published this video called Recession or Depression. And the answer to that question, is it going to be a recession or a depression, depends entirely in, on the speed and the size of the government's policy response to this crisis. If the government spends enough and the Fed creates enough money, then they can keep us from collapsing into a 1930s decade-long style depression. But if they don't, we very well could collapse into a de depression like that. Now, since then, the government has responded quite aggressively, more aggressively than I feared that they would. Uh, so far, they've come up with one, the first act, the CARES Act, was at roughly $2 trillion. And more recently, they've passed another payroll protection plan of nearly $500 billion. And since then, the Fed has created $2.3 trillion in the last six weeks alone. That's increased the amount of money they've created by 52% in just the last six weeks. So this has been enough to keep people from defaulting on their rent and their mortgages and their credit cards and their cars. But Richard, I have bad news for you. They're defaulting on the rent because I am I own a lot of property. Yes. So in, in England also, they had a more, you don't have to pay your rent, you don't have to pay taxes and all this right now. Right. So I'm, I'm, so it's it depends upon the country you're in. Right. Uh, and I'm sure more will, will default on their rent but we would be talking about absolutely 100% of the renters not paying their rent or their credit cards. Small and medium-sized businesses would all be in the process of collapsing. The corporations would all be in the process of collapsing and all the major banks in the world would be in the process of collapsing, thereby destroying all your deposits. And that would certainly have sent the world into a great depression, if not worse. So, so far, this government inter intervention, which was in entirely foreseeable, given that the government is managing the economy at the macro level, that has kept us from complete collapse. Now, going forward, we still have to ask, is this, how bad is this depression going to be? And again, it depends on how much money the government keeps pumping in the economy and how much money the Fed keeps creating. <clears throat> if they create enough and spend enough, they can keep the economy together and from completely collapsing. But if they suddenly get cold feet and don't, don't send out enough money to the Americans, and the businesses and the corporations, then the economy will collapse and we will be set back decades. So let me ask this, Richard, can your uh, video bi-weekly program assist the average person like me to understand what is happening before everybody else understands what's happening? Yes, it can. It really will teach you how the economy really works now. So, so many people are confused because the economy doesn't work the way that it used to. Everyone who's studied was taught the way the world used to work, the world economy, the way it used to work when dollars were backed by gold. But it doesn't work that way anymore. In the past, it wouldn't have been possible for the Fed to create so much paper money, because before 1971, actually before 1968, 
they had to have enough gold to back every new dollar they issued. And so that created an economic environment and a set of rules within which the Fed had to live. But once they stopped requiring the Fed maintain gold backing, that completely changed all the set of rules governing economic policy. And what MacroWatch teaches is, is the, new, the new rules that govern economic policy and the policy options that are now open to, to the government in terms of acting as they have over the last two months to prevent a complete economic collapse. So MacroWatch explains this in very simple terms with lots of charts. And it now has, it's been going on for six and a half years. So subscribers have access not only to a new video every two weeks, but also access to all the MacroWatch archives, which have well over 50 hours of videos for subscribers to begin immediately watching, which is including which is, four, four different courses. Which is important um, because if you want to see the future, you've really got to understand a little about the past. But what Richard is saying, which many people do not really comprehend yet, which the thing I've watched was a shadow banking system, which collapsed in t September 2019, is the question is who bails out the Fed? And that's what happened in, in this past March is the U.S. Treasury just loaned the Fed or gave them $450 billion, billion or something. So now the, the, the wall between the Fed and the Treasury are now one. That may not seem like too much to everybody else, but to somebody like me and to Richard, that means a lot. It's because the question is where is that money coming from? can either come from the treasury or it can come from the Fed to keep this economy floating up. Because Richard, this has never happened in the history of the world, has it, the whole economy goes down at one time? No, this is, this is the first that something like this has happened so suddenly. I mean, the Great Depression was very severe. Uh, it, the economy con contracted by something like 40% if you don't adjust for the deflation. And unemployment went up to 25% but it didn't happen in two months or one month like this has. But Richard, see, this is the thing I look at this whole thing is, you know, what happened was in the Great Depression, businesses closed because they closed. This was shut down by the government. So you could have a, you could have a functioning viable restaurant, let's say, and suddenly you have to close your doors and you were viable. So that's why when, when people compare it to the Great Depression, I go, I think you get your head up your butt. They shut everybody down. This is a forced depression, which is a question I'm asking you. Is it a collapse? Can it go to a collapse if it's much bigger than they anticipated? If the so fortunately, the United States is a very, very wealthy country. And we, the government can afford to continue borrowing and spending on an extraordinary scale as they're doing now. I mean, the, so far they've spent or indicated they're going to spend something approaching $3 trillion. Now, the size of the U.S. economy is, last year was $21 trillion. Now, the government debt, the total government debt as a percentage of the GDP or as a percentage of the size of the economy is about 110% of GDP. So even if the government had to spend a total of $21 trillion keeping the economy from collapsing, which it won't, it won't have to spend that much, but even if it had to spend another $21 trillion, that would double the U.S. government debt to 
of GDP or the size of the economy. Japanese government debt is already 250% of GDP. I, I understand that, but that's Japan. Now we're talking about the whole US and the dollar being the reserve currency of the world. And the question I have for you, when does confidence run out of America? When do people say these guys are a bunch of clowns? I don't think it's just a matter of confidence. The problem is for the, these investors you're talking about, there's no place else for them to invest their money where they go. No other country is any better. No, I, I understand that. But I'm saying is this is when does a person go, the guys running the insane asylum, the, you know, the fed and the treasury and all these characters, when do they say, look, they printed too much money now. When does that happen? And when does hyperinflation takes place? Now people say there's never, there's not going to be hyperinflation, but as you know, the supply chains are crashing down, manufacturing is moving back on shore. Aussie dollars collapsing, Aussies collapsing. So this is not an ordinary depression. This is a global shutdown. And I, I think when people try and measure it in past dollar amounts, I, I wish it's only another $21 trillion we have to print. But what if it doesn't stop this Titanic from going down? So it looks like first we're going to have deflation, first and foremost, as you can see with the price of oil. Oh, by the way, you remember oil went below zero. Did you see that? 40 bucks, yeah. I'm a, I have all our oil wells that are hurt. I recall hearing someone at one of your conferences once say, you won't be able to give that stuff away before too long. Yeah. I remember that everybody and we hung him on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> the Texans tried to, but uh, that's right. anyway, so first there's going to be deflation. Then whether or not we move into a period of high rate of inflation, you know, there's deflation because demand is collapsed. Everyone has to stay home. So they're not spending money. No one wants to fly. No one's spending. So there's a demand shock that's pushing down prices for most things. Now, going forward, whether or not this response to the crisis leads to high rates of inflation is going to depend more than anything else on whether globalization collapses. Globalization is very deflationary. Yeah, so, so Richard, let me ask you this. this is, I'm doing my best to sell your macro watch. Would you be able to pick up, if inflation starts to creep in, would you be able as an economist to pick that up before anybody else? Yes, I would. I, well, I think a lot of economists would be picking it up at the same time, but a lot of economists are not accessible to the public right. and are locked away in ivory towers or investment banks, and they're not going to be sharing information very broadly to the public. Good. So inflation is horrible, but isn't the Fed and the Treasury, aren't they more afraid of deflation, right? That's right. I think they are more afraid of deflation because deflation tends to make the debt too expensive. That's right. So inflation actually makes the debt disappear. So this is where I don't trust those old SLBs. <laughs> they want to have inflation so they can, you know, let's say they can get inflation to three to 4%. They can eliminate that debt in a few years with inflation. Well, so, I mean, this is a war. It is. Wars, when you fight a war, you have to spend a lot of government money and it tends to cause inflation. Right. Now, if we have to live with, you know, the government spending five or $10 trillion to keep our economy from imploding. And if that causes inflation, then so be it. It's far better than everything collapsing, right. mass unemployment, hunger in the United States, social revolution, and decade or more of 
de- depression leading to who knows what in terms of right. geopolitical shocks and crises around the world, right. the way the Great Depression did. So Richard, this is what I'm saying, is in America, there's a prevailing point of view, there's not gonna be any more inflation. And I'm saying the, the pendulum is about to swing. And that's why MacroWatch would be a helpful tool if you can see, you know, I watch, I, I watch your publication all the time and listen to what you have to say. But I think inflation will also destroy a whole bunch of people also, especially if they don't have any jobs. So the inflation is going to depend on whether or not globalization breaks down. Right. And it might because right. the trade tensions between the U.S. and China right. were quite intense even before this virus started. And now they're much worse. Right. So all, all I'm saying, is, Richard, is this. I mean, shouldn't people be aware for either inflation or deflation at this time? Not be so complacent. So it's going to be inf- it's going to be deflation. That's right. It's, inflation is certainly possible, even yeah. quite high rates of inflation. Yeah, and and that's uh, that's really why you know I'm doing my best because your sir, your macro watch is priceless. It's not about predicting; it's about being prepared. And if it comes out every other week, you know, I mean, at least you're preparing. The average guy has not a clue. You know, they're just trying to wonder what how much takeout is going to cost at a pizza shop. <laughs> that's about it. Right. So what is, what is the offer you have on MacroWatch for everybody? I'm, I'm doing my best because I want people, we're an education company, but they've got to know what you see, especially sitting next to Wuhan out there in Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> well, so yes, thanks, Robert. I appreciate that. So if your listeners would like to subscribe to MacroWatch, they should visit my website, which is richardduncaneconomics.com. That's richardduncaneconomics.com. And I'd like to offer them a 50% subscription discount. So on the website, if they hit the subscribe button, they will be prompted to enter a discount coupon code. If they type in RICH, just R-I-C-H, they can subscribe to MacroWatch at a 50% discount. Well, thank you for that. It's, it's priceless. All I'm saying, sports fans, is this. If you got caught flat-footed, in other words, you're worried about losing your job, you're thinking about whatever it is, you know, re- retirement is toast right now. I don't think the boomers will retire. And then the Gen X and Gen Y and millennials, you know, they're so loaded with debt because of the, do- the dollar causes all that. If you don't understand what's hitting you, that's why you need to subscribe to a macro watch so you can prepare for it. Nobody's, nobody knows what exactly is going to happen. But if you're prepared for it, you have a better chance of doing better in the future. That makes sense to you, Richard. That's exactly right. So, what's your final thoughts, and how should you know people prepare for this unprecedented? Doesn't even describe what we're going through right now. This is unbelievable. So, what's your final thoughts for people? So, a couple of thoughts. I think first, it's important. This this is such a good illustration of how people should try to position themselves so they can survive any kind of shock. And they can't really do that at all working for another company, working for a company. You can be fired. You may think you have job security, but you never do. So it's far better, if at all possible, to either build up a portfolio of investment rental properties or create a business that as far as possible is recession-proof to take you through good times and bad times. That's the first thought. The second thought is, you know, be careful before blaming 
this virus or any of our other problems on any particular group. I know there's a lot of rising anti-China sentiment in the United States. I think we need to be rational about that. And um, we don't want this to turn into a permanent Cold War as we had with the Soviet Union for decades and decades. It's far better for, we have a global economy, we have a global civilization, and it's going to be far better for everyone if we maintain it. Yeah. And finally, don't believe that the government is evil in terms of government spending. If the government stops spending, we're going to collapse into a new Great Depression unlike, unlike anything you can imagine. Right. So it's going to be necessary for the government to increase the government debt radically from here and for the Fed to keep creating radically large amounts of new money to keep that from happening. Right. We can afford yeah. it. And that's the only way we're going to, to survive this in, in anything resembling the sort of economy that we were last year. So that's got to happen. And the politicians are going to have to vote for this to happen. And if they don't, we are in horrible trouble. So they have to spend more as long as much as it takes. We can afford it. So Richard, thank you very much. You know, like you've been part of our Richard programs for all these years. We've, they've always been controversial because we allow different points of view to pop up. Like that guy saying to my oil guys that you won't, you won't even remember the smell of oil. You know, I mean, geez, there's almost <laughs> fist fights in the room, but that's how we learn. There's always opposing points of view. And so in closing, Richard, you know, thank you for being a friend for all these years. I mean, you've been calling, you've been saying that you didn't call the Wuhan, but you were saying the dollar crisis was coming anyway. And that's my point of view. So thank you very much, Richard. Take care in Thailand. Thank you, Robert. It's always, it's always a pleasure talking with you. Thanks for having me back on. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye.